Welcome, Nexus Church family online to our online service for this week. We pray that it'll be a challenging and encouraging message that will uplift you and connect you to God. Uh, in our service today, we will start out with one song of worship, kind of get us prepared for the message. And we'll have about a half hour for a message, maybe a little less, a little more. And then we'll close it off with a time of reflection with a song at the end. And so today, I would like to open up in prayer as we prepare for today's message. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for the songs that we will sing that are praise to you. I pray that the message that is shared today will encourage those who are listening. And I thank you for them and their lives and their families. And I pray that this week will be a great week as we be a light to our world around us. In Jesus. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts
Welcome back, Nexus Church family online, as we dig into our next week in our series that is the greatest dividing line in all of history. We're talking about Jesus' birth. Now, last week, we talked about how Jesus intercepted the path that Satan had us on, right? We, we linked it to how Jesus, that, that the enemy has us on this path towards the end zone of eternal destruction. But Jesus, the great defender that he is, ran in, got the ball, and took it the other way to the house and unlocked for us eternal life in his presence. What a great, beautiful, I would call it a great object lesson. Now, some people didn't like it probably as much because they're not into football. But I, as a football fan, it opened me up to a different way of looking at the birth of Jesus. Very non-traditional, but this week we're going to turn the page and we're going to look at some examples that we have in the Bible of those Jesus first revealed himself to. Right, The first few years of his life, the first three examples in the Bible of people who encountered Jesus. Pretty radical. But before we get to those examples and the implications they have for our life, we want to dig in to what it is that makes the faith of Christianity, the faith that Jesus being God came to earth in the form of a human being, why that is so radical. And the first one we want to dig into is how it is so distinct from other faith-based religions it is. It is so vastly different, it stands alone. Now, Pastor Timothy Keller, a very well-known and well-respected pastor, put it this way. Now, he is comparing two different ideologies in the faith world. That being God is able to be in the world that we live in, a part of us, and that one of where he is beyond us and incapable of stepping into time and space. He puts it this way. Here's why the doctrine of Christmas, that being the birth of Jesus, is unique. On one hand, you've got religions that say God is imminent in all things, That incarnation is normal, right? That being kind of like a Buddhist or a Hindu where God is everywhere in in everything. I mean, you just kind of keep reincarnating over and over again. And if you're a good person, you get to be something better. If you weren't, then you're going to go back down in some other kind of form. And then you have the vast opposite direction, that being of religions like Islam and Judaism, which say God is so transcendent over all things that the incarnation is impossible. It is as if you have this clockmaker that winds something up and lets it go, never to touch it or to do anything again. And when the time is up for it to do what it was created to do, it'll be done. That's it. But he summarizes Christianity is unique. It doesn't say that incarnation is normal. There's not gods everywhere in everything. But it doesn't say it's impossible, that God can't reach down. 
It says God is so imminent that it is possible, but he is so transcendent that the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ is a history-altering, life-transforming, paradigm-shattering event. You won't see this in anything else. In fact, you won't ever see it again. It's a one-time thing where God came down to earth to be with man. And of course we know he only had to come once to win the battle for eternal life for all of his creation. Now what Pastor Keller didn't address was another faith system that is kind of an anti-faith, if you will, that being of a kind of an atheism or agnosticism, the belief that ultimately we can't really know whether or not faith is real or not real because we can't test it scientifically, right? So if you can test it, then they will believe it. But of course, God is beyond what we can measure. He created all things. He knows all things. And so we have, the point today is, is we have all these different faiths that don't come anywhere close to what we believe as Christians. That Jesus is God and he came to earth to become man, but yet still God. It's vastly different. And it is this dividing line that changed history for all time. It'll never, ever be the same. And so we have this massive claim that makes this dividing line. But we also have this prophetic impossibility. Now, if you don't know what prophecy is, to put it very simplistically today, in Christianity anyway, it is the understanding that God gives people a directive of what he will do or what he is about to do, like right now, like change your ways or this is going to happen, right? We have this, this statement in Christianity, it's, it's foretelling and forthtelling. Something's going to happen in the future, and I'm just letting you know about it. And then there's that, if you don't change your ways right now, this is going to happen to you. And most often in the Bible, we see forthtelling, like change your ways so that I can welcome you back in my presence. But in the Bible, there's this foretelling, this futuristic proclamation that was made way, way, way before Jesus ever was in existence, ever was even thought about as far as the world is concerned, there was a massive amount of statements in the Old Testament, what we call before Jesus' time on earth, that was written. In fact, there is over a hundred prophetic scriptures or pieces of statements in the Old Testament about the birth of Jesus. Over a hundred. Now there is a wonderful, renowned mathematician and astronomy professor named Peter Stoner who calculated the chances of the fulfillment of these prophecies, these what we call messianic prophecies. Here's what he concluded. He said the probability of even eight of these prophecies to come to pass, to actually happen, was about one in 100 quadrillion chances. 
One in 100 quadrillion chances. Now, if I remember right, that is something like one to the 17th power. Like, crazy impossible that Jesus would have fulfilled even eight of these. Now, I read up about how he came up with his calculations, and of course, like any mathematician is like, I, I can gather enough to know like he wasn't some weirdo just throwing out numbers. He was actually really calculating these things, but it was an amazing way that he tried to figure out that this was accurate, and, and of course, those who disregard him won't even listen to him, but I believe that <laughs> the point is made. It's virtually impossible for one person to fulfill even a handful of these prophecies. A couple of these prophecies that I just want to kind of highlight for you that maybe would help you understand what we're talking about today. In Micah 5.2, we read that, that the Messiah, that being Jesus' birth, would be in Bethlehem, right? Micah wrote down by the the knowledge of God that the future Savior, hundreds of years later, would be born in Bethlehem. How many cities are in the world at that time? Micah predicts that it would be in Bethlehem. And of course, it was. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, we read that there would be a messenger that would prepare for the Messiah. Now, when we read in the New Testament, we read that John the Baptist was, in fact, that man who prepared for Jesus to arrive. Who would ever <laughs> write that as a prediction? That there would be a man and he would prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist fulfilled that. Another one. Another one that we read is the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem as a king. Not only that, he would be riding on a donkey. <laughs> like, those kinds of things don't go hand in hand. Like, that is, that is a prophetic word that nobody would believe would come true, right? Like, kings don't ride into a city on a donkey in that time. It's not exactly flattering. And that was found in Zechariah 9.9. Also in Zechariah eleven twelve, we read that the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Judas did exactly that. What are the chances? Like, what if it was 31? What would we do then? <laughs> but it wasn't. It was exactly 30. And then the last one I want to highlight for you is Isaiah 53, 7. And that is that the Messiah would remain silent while he experienced severe affliction. And we know that exactly happened, that Jesus was on the cross and he kept silent. He kept silent while he was being tortured and beaten and being ridiculed. Jesus' fulfillment of the prophecies sets Christianity apart and solidifies why it is a dividing line in history. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1.25, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God rose above what people could ever do. Nobody could know that, that Jesus would come the way he did, and yet we have over 100 
prophetic words saying that this is how the the Messiah, that being Jesus, would come to earth and live in his short 30 years on earth. He is set apart. But yet, as we come to celebrate this birth, this separating birth in all history, what blows my mind over and over again is that God didn't reveal His Son, Jesus, to those who were expecting Him, right? All these people that these prophets that we find in the Bible wrote to, these Jewish people, they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting the King to come. They had been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years, waiting on the edge of their seat, knowing that someday these things would come true. But yet they missed Him. And when he was revealed to the people, he did not come to those who should have been ready. He chose to reveal his son, God, to the most highly unlikely. And the first group that we want to discuss today is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in these very short verses, we read of a group, these group of shepherds would be considered unreliable in the city. In fact, they wouldn't even be allowed into the city because they were rejects. They were, as potentially a a Hindu would see, the lowest caste in the society. They were to take care and make sure the sheep weren't eaten by the wolves. Many of them hired hands. They didn't own more than what was on their backs. And so we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Right In the same region of where Mary and Joseph were staying. Bethlehem. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That was radical for all people. It was only supposed to be for the religious elite, I thought. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, the lowest, the nobodies. Born for you, who is the Messiah, the one who was predicted over a hundred times, the Lord. I can't imagine what's going on in these shepherds' mind at this time. Like, for, for real? For me? I didn't think it was for me. I thought it was for those, those rich and wealthy and, and educated people. This will be the sign for you. Get ready, men. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger, I thought he was supposed to be a king. It's a baby? This is just blowing our minds. Like this is, this is like causing so much separation between what we thought it was supposed to be and what it really is. And then, like if this didn't blow their minds, like this really blew their minds. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. 
When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, time out. They're going to leave their sheep in the middle of the night. Where They leave them sheep, they're dead sheep. This was a sacrifice, right? Like, they were so excited that they had an opportunity to connect with the Savior. They were willing to sacrifice their livelihood. That's what an encounter with God will do. Sacrifice it all to be with Him. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message. They were told about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Of course, like, what? I think you guys are on something here. Like, this, you weren't supposed to see that. You're, you're on something tonight, boys. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Wow. Of course, Mary would treasure this in her heart. Just a few verses before, God told her who this son of hers was, right? She knew what they were saying was true. Nobody else did. They would eventually. Man. I think if there's one thing that we can gather from this encounter, this really the, the first encounter with the Savior outside of Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the lowest. Today, if you're feeling like you're a failure, maybe as a parent, maybe as a spouse, a child, a student, a coworker, whatever, the list can go on. Let me tell you today, your Savior sees you. He sees you, and He's not done working in or through you. In fact, He has a heart for the down and out, those whose hearts are really open to what He wants to do. So today, I encourage you Jesus is waiting. He's waiting waiting for you to say, I'm going to leave this all behind like the shepherds and go encounter you. And so just a few verses later, we have the second encounter in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and that is of Simeon and Anna. Now, both of these individuals were considered used up or past their prime I don't know if anybody feels like that. I think probably a lot of us feel like we're used up right now, but these guys truly were used up, right? I mean, if you do the math on Anna herself, she was easily into her hundreds, right? These people had been waiting faithfully for the Messiah for almost a century or more. And we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Lord was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents, that is, 
Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to perform for him was customary under the law. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared it in the presence of all peoples. I love this part. Again, second encounter and a second time we read this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, not just to the Jews, not to just the religious elite, but to all people, all people, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many and hearts may be revealed again. A dividing line, like a, like, a, like a sword right down the center of the aisle and splitting it right in two and saying, it's done. The way things have been will forever be changed. We can't go back. And then we have Anna's story. There is also a prophetess in that same place, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in her years, listen, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow 84 more years. You do the math. If she was at least 15 years old, she was past 100. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers for 84 years. At the very moment she came up, there's Jesus, began to thank God and speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Listen to this of these faithful followers. Simeon was righteous, devout, and guided by the Spirit. Anna, what did she do? She did not leave the temple for what this is, 84 years and day. And night, she fasted and prayed. I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe we, you've caught yourself in the midst of thinking, man, the greatest days are past. Things will never be the same. No, they won't. No, things will never be the same. But that's good. Because we don't want to get caught up in the same old. We want to continue to see God do more and more. Things may not look like they're going up and to the right right now. But let me tell you, God is doing something so that we can go further to the right than we've ever gone before. We're going to see God move mightily. Sometimes we need to go down in order to go up. But listen to this, friends. To those who remain faithful to God... Listen to me. He will never abandon you. He remains faithful to the end. He remains faithful. And then, lastly today, we come to the Magi. Now, I realize for most of you, if you're thinking things through in historical, and if you've really read this passage, you, you fully understand that Jesus was now approximately at least 
approaching two years old. Why do we know that? Because Herod went out and killed any baby or child under two years old at this time. So we know that, that the Magi arrived to the house of Mary and Joseph when Jesus was no longer a baby. There was many others who got to see and experience Jesus. But in the Bible, it is the third group that we see that gets to encounter Jesus. And boy, was this a special one. These men were foreigners. The third group that got to see it. In fact, in the book of Matthew, they're the first, right? They get to experience Jesus, Son of God on earth. These were foreigners. These guys had wealth. They had knowledge, but they had no business being in the presence of the true God of Israel. No business. Any religious elite person in that day would have had nothing to do with them. Nothing. But yet, God came and encountered them. And they bowed at the feet of a baby, of a young boy. And so today I asked my son to come up here and read to you a, a different depiction of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 that Sally Lloyd-Jones depicted for us. And I want him to read it for you and just have you sit back and listen to this powerful view of what really it was like for Jesus to be born where he was. Suddenly the star they had seen in the east started moving again, showing them the way. So the three wise men followed the star out of the big city, along the road into the little town of Bethlehem. They followed the star through the streets of Bethlehem, out of the nice part of town, through the not-so-nice part of town, and into the really not-so-nice part of town, down a little dirt track until they stopped right over a little house. But wait, it wasn't a palace, and there weren't any guards or servants or flags or red carpets or trumpets or anything. Did they get it wrong, or was this what God meant? Sure enough, in that little house, there sitting on his mother's knee, they found him, baby, the baby king. The three men knelt before the little, little king. They took off their rich royal turbans and gleaming golden crowns. They bowed their noble heads to the ground and gave him the sparkling treasure, treasures. The journey had, been, had begun so many centuries before they had had led the three wise men here to a little town, to a little house, to a little child. The king God had promised David all those years before, but this child was a new kind of king. Through the, through, though he was the prince of heaven, he had become poor. Through, though he was the mighty God, he had become a helpless baby. This king hadn't come um, to be the boss. He had come to be a servant.
wow, <laughs> what powerful statements those were. I want to read that little last section for you again. The prince of heaven became poor. Mighty God became a helpless baby. The king and creator became a servant. See, if there's one thing I want you to understand today, listen, I don't know where you are at. Those listening today could be across the board as to where they're at with Jesus in this life, what your struggles may or may not be. But I want to remind you, Jesus came for you, came for you. And to prove it, he first revealed himself in Scripture, in the gospel messages, he first revealed himself to the rejected, right? The shepherds, the rejected. He revealed to those who were considered used up and beyond their years and worthless. He revealed himself to what most would consider the enemies of God. Jesus came to a place nobody expected. He did what nobody expected. He said things that were radical to those he was living with. Jesus is the ultimate dividing line. And I want to tell you today, if you are feeling down and out, if you're feeling like you're the farthest away from God you've ever been, or maybe it's not so bad, but man, you know it could be better. I want to tell you right now that Jesus is here right now. He's here for you. No matter where you're at, he's here for you. In fact, he says it exactly that way in James 4.8, that if you draw near to him, how do you draw near to him? Talk to him. Read his word. If you do that, he will draw near to you. And so that is my prayer for you today in this Christmas season where we celebrate the greatest gift ever given. Would you draw near to him? Would you give him your heart? And he will give you his presence in a real and powerful way, just like he did to the shepherds, to Anna, to Simeon, and to those three wise men. Father, I pray for your people today that are listening. God, that you would do a mighty work, that you would speak in mighty ways, that you would reveal yourself in new and fresh ways, God, that would help each person listening know that you are real, that you love them, and that you sent your son for them, that you are real in their life right now, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Nexus Church family online for joining us today. And on behalf of the rest of our church, we wish you a Merry Christmas and so excited to see you again next week when we celebrate this Christmas season, the beginning of Christmas week together.
And we hope that if you are able, you would join us again then. All the poor.